Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 34 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Grisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. Today's show, Raiders Stomp the Saints and Waiver Wire Warrior for week three. I keep dropped the ball! Oh, I keep dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What do talk about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were! And we let them off the hook! Playoffs? <laughs> I just hope we can win a game! It's my quarterback! What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait! You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys! I saw, son! I saw! Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. The New Orleans Saints were stunned on Monday Night Football, losing to the Vegas Raiders 31-24. And if you're a Saints fan, I think you may have turned a blind eye if you didn't feel like this could have been a trap game beforehand. New Orleans was coming off an emotional win against Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their division rival. And then they had to travel cross-country to face the Raiders. And this game was sandwiched in between the Bucs game and also a Sunday night football game, a showdown against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers next week. And of course, this was a Raiders team playing their first game in Vegas. $5 billion stadium. It looked beautiful. It was in prime time commemorating Al Davis. You had to think that the Raiders were going to treat this game as their Super Bowl, and they certainly did just that. The Saints were not ready to compete last night after two opening drives, which I presume were scripted, where we did get off to a hot start, leading 10-0 New Orleans was, but it was all downhill from there. And Vegas went on a 31-7 run after that and just totally kicking the Saints' tail. And before we go over the fantasy performances, I, I am a Saints fan. So I do want to address one annoying argument that I keep hearing from Houdat Nation, and that's that the refs gave the Raiders the game, that we lost because of the refs. Now, beyond the surface, I think there's a little bit of validity to that theory. Like even before the game, I thought it was reasonable to assume that the Raiders would get a little bit of home cooking given the circumstances of this new stadium, and even without the fans. And maybe that's just the conspiracy theorist in me. But you won't blame me too much. I am a Saints fan here. But honestly, that's one reason that I did bet against the Saints. I bet the Raiders to cover in this game at plus six, among the other reasons that I thought this was a trap game that I stated above. I also bet the under to hit, which was just incorrect. But come on, y'all. I mean, the Saints did not lose because of the refs. That's just a ridiculously bad take. And it's just an excuse that, holds no water because even if we grant the argument that the refs had it in for the Saints and this was just the Raiders night to win that myth is just totally busted when you actually watch the replays of these fouls of these penalties and objectively speaking only two of our 300 penalties last night were bad calls in particular I thought that the illegal blindside block and I'm raising my fingers in the air when I say that, giving quotations there, because I just thought that that was a terrible call. But all you Saints fans complaining about the hands-to-the-face call on Trey Henderson when he put his hand on Derek Carr's face mask, that's not the ref's fault. That's the NFL. 
You can't do that in the NFL. That penalty is called 99% of the time in the National Football League. And the defensive pass interference call late, that kind of sealed the game for the round. I shouldn't say sealed the game. I guess the kick, uh, the great kick by Daniel Carson sealed the game. But the play that got him in position to do that, that pass interference, you could make the argument that it was a ticky-tack call, but it was interference by definition. And it's called at least 50% of the time in the NFL. The bottom line is the Saints were just undisciplined and they were sloppy. And they were as well against Tampa Bay in week one too. 119 penalty yards in week one, along with over 100 in week two. So the common theme here is that the Saints are just not playing clean football right now. And the refs weren't the reason that New Orleans lost this game. The inability to get pressure on Derek Carr. Despite the Raiders missing two out of of five starting offensive linemen for the vast majority of this game, Incognito exited, right tackle Trent Brown wasn't playing, the Saints still couldn't get pressure on Derek Carr. He had all day to throw, and the defense was just getting embarrassed by Darren Waller and just having no answer for him. Those were the two biggest reasons the Saints lost. And And the third reason was because Derek Carr outplayed Drew Brees, which I'll get to in a second, when we go over the fantasy overview of this game. But the fourth reason was because John Gruden just outcoached Sean Payton. I mean, he just called such a great game. But overall, the Saints didn't get jobbed by the refs. This wasn't pass interference gate. This was the Raiders just playing harder, better, and smarter, and the Saints just not showing up. And the Saints are a much better and more talented team than the Vegas Raiders. I mean, nobody's disputing that. Even diehard Raiders fans aren't going to dispute that. But being better on paper doesn't get you wins. You have to show up and play. And the Raiders treated this game like it was their Super Bowl. And rightfully so, because they just kicked the Saints. And that's really all there was to it. So let's get to fantasy football here. Derek Carr, 282 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He got no turnovers on the year. He did a great job at game managing this game, and he didn't have a single three-touchdown performance last season, and he did last night. And the Saints' defense, again, missing Marcus Davenport, just failing to show up, couldn't put any pressure on Derek Carr. And Derek Carr, all three of his touchdowns came in the red zone. One was like a really short, I think it was play-action pass to the fullback Alec Ingold from one yard out. And another was a sweet Zay Jones catch. That was a great throw. It was a 15-yard throw. By Derek Carr, it was he put it right on the money. Zay Jones, great job, kind of getting low to catch that pass, and he was well covered. And then Darren Waller, just an unstoppable force. Carr found him, I think, from six yards out, or maybe it was three yards out. But either way, Carr just worked his connection with Darren Waller all night, and he just couldn't be stopped or even slowed down by the Saints. And he didn't need to challenge the Saints downfield. Carr didn't. He just kind of dinked and dunked his way to victory. But Darren Waller allowed him to do that, and the Saints defense just allowed him to do that. And Carr, as usual, played mistake-free football. He wasn't really pressed in this game, and he he showed up. He had a good game. So good on you for those who actually had the guts to start him against this Saints defense. It's probably in a super flex or a two-quarterback league there. But Carr is worth rostering as a backup quarterback, but probably not worth starting despite this game. He does have a pretty brutal schedule coming up. He faces the Patriots and the Bills and the Chiefs and the Bucks or his next four opponents, and there's a bye sandwiched in there too. So I don't know. Maybe Carr isn't worth a roster spot in 12-team leagues as a backup quarterback. 
I could go either way on that. He does have an improved supporting cast, but the receivers of that supporting cast didn't really show last night. Henry Ruggs, after a pretty promising opener, he was questionable going into this game. Only three targets, one catch, four yards for Henry Ruggs. I advise not to be starting Henry Ruggs in that game just because you would have had to wait till Monday night to make that decision because he was questionable all up until Monday. And there was the possibility that Henry Ruggs was going to be used as a decoy in this game. And that's kind of what he was. He was a small part of the game plan. He opened space up for Darren Waller, and that was pretty much it. Brian Edwards had a better week two than week one, where he only had one catch in week one. Two targets, two catches, 42 receiving yards against the Saints. And Edwards has only seen three targets through two weeks. But he looked pretty good. He had a great route and catch against Marshawn Lattimore last night that went for 20-plus yards. He also drew a defensive pass interference. I mean, basically everybody did that against the Saints. But Brian Edwards, probably not worth rostering yet in 12-team formats. Henry Ruggs is, but he should be on benches for now until we know that hamstring is fully healthy. But Brian Edwards, probably not worth rostering yet in 12-teamers. Definitely in 14-teamers for sure. But he's definitely a player that you want to keep monitoring each week because he could have a strong finish to this season. Reminder, he is a rookie. But let's get to the story of the passing game, and that was Darren Waller. 16 targets, 12 catches, 103 yards, and one touchdown. I think Darren Waller must have listened to my preview pod on Saturday when I said that Jared Cook was the tight end four in fantasy football. I said Jared Cook was a top four tight end, obviously behind Kittle and Kelsey and Mark Andrews. And I just couldn't think of who I would have as the number four tight end. And without Michael Thomas, I said Jared Cook is going to earn that role. But that was just very disrespectful for Darren Waller. He did not like that, apparently. And he showed me how wrong I was there. Darren Waller was just unstoppable last night in the Saints. They tried to do everything they could. They were putting multiple defenders, not really at the same time on Waller, but they tried different defenders at different times to cover Waller, whether it was safeties, cornerbacks, linebackers. None of them could. It was just a, he was a nightmare of a matchup last night for the Saints. And the crazy thing about Darren Waller's game, 16 targets for a tight end is phenomenal, of course. 42.1% of the Raiders' target share is amazing. But no other pass catcher for the Raiders saw more than three targets. And Darren Waller had 16. And that's how much of an unstoppable dominant force that Darren Waller was. I mean, the entire offense for the Raiders just ran through Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs. And I apologize Darren, because you are officially the fourth most valuable tight end to roster in fantasy football. Moving on to the Raiders run game and Josh Jacobs, another impressive showing, even though it doesn't really appear so in the fantasy football points column, but Jacobs, 27 carries in this game and three catches. That's 30 total touches for the second straight week for Josh Jacobs and the Saints Run defense, I talked about it in the matchup preview pod. They haven't given up a 100-yard rusher in like 45 straight games or something crazy like that. And I said, if anyone can do it or anyone can break that streak, it would be Josh Jacobs. He came close, and it wasn't necessarily because the Saints' run defense was bad. They did show up yesterday. I mean, 27, 88 yards on 27 carries is actually 
a really good job well done by the defense. Those are inefficient numbers for Jacobs, but the storyline here is just the workhorse load, the workload that Josh Jacobs received. And he also had three catches, which it doesn't sound like much. It was only 17 yards, but that's more. Three catches is better than what he was doing last year. He now has seven catches for the season. That's what we needed for Josh Jacobs to be getting seen as a top 12 running back to make that leap. And Jacobs could have had a better game here. Recall that two of the touchdowns that Derek Carr threw were from less than five yards away. And one of them was, I think, a one-yard touchdown to the fullback. So the opportunity was there, and that's really all you can ask for. Jacobs ran hard. He avoided tackles, but the Saints just hit him in the backfield so many times. There was two separate five-yard losses for Josh Jacobs, which really kind of hurt his numbers there. And Jacobs did exit this game. He got shaken up a bit with some kind of, he was either a quad or a hamstring injury. I couldn't really tell from TV. Uh, people on Twitter were saying that was a hamstring injury, but it looked to me like the trainers were working his quad. I wasn't really sure, but I'll call it a hamstring injury for now. But he was able to go back into the game, which is good news. And I think that that was accelerated by Jalen Richard fumbling and losing a fumble in, in Josh Jacobs' brief absence. So the Raiders were like, okay, you need to get back out there, Josh. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. So not a great day from a fantasy perspective for Josh Jacobs, but it, all things considered, like moving forward, forward outlook there, Josh Jacobs, very good game here for the future. I think it's a promising game. And for your running back, for any running back to be getting 30 or more touches in the first two games of the season, that could mean that you've struck gold at running back as long as Jacobs stays healthy, unlike a couple of other running backs who went down in week two. So moving on to the New Orleans Saints fantasy performances here. Drew Brees, not so hot in this one. 312 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Michael Thomas, obviously out, but that wasn't necessarily the issue here. Brees, he eclipsed 300 yards thanks to a hot start and one garbage time drive where the Saints just kind of moved all the way down the field. The Raiders were kind of in prevent defense late in the game, but the Raiders controlled this game in between and Drew Brees' interception was just a horrible throw right to the linebacker who presumably, I, I don't think Drew Brees saw the linebacker, to be honest. But Brees had a couple of other misses in this game. He was not sharp by any means. The ball is coming out of his hands with less zip. He was not as accurate. He showed some accuracy issues also in week one. This is not a good start for Drew Brees. And normally, like the last couple of seasons, I would say the last two seasons, Drew Brees has started really hot. And then his arm strength has waned as the season progresses. And by the end of the year, like two years ago, we saw the last six games where Drew Brees struggled. And last year, we saw it really in the playoff game where Drew Brees had a really great season up until that playoff game or that Falcons game kind of late to the season. So we saw his arm strength kind of wane in the latter portion of both seasons in the last two seasons. But now we're seeing it in the beginning of the season. So it's very, very concerning. His touchdown was a short toss to Jared Cook. And a lot of this pass, a lot of this passing yardage that Drew Brees amassed in this game was just kind of yak yard, yards after the catch by Alvin Kamara. Although Drew Brees did show a connection with Traquan Smith, but from a fantasy perspective, you know, without Michael Thomas there, this is looking pretty grim for Drew, for those who drafted Drew Brees. I think he's more of a backup fantasy quarterback as of right now. And it looks to me like he's going to have a season that's very similar to Aaron Rodgers' season last year, where Rodgers 
was just kind of in charge of a run-committed offense and had the occasional blow-up game, but they were few and far in between, and Rodgers was mostly a backup fantasy quarterback. That's how I see Drew Brees' season going this year from a fantasy football perspective. So it's unfortunate that it looks like father time is catching up to Drew Brees, but I don't think anyone can watch that and just not have that feeling. Even people with their black and gold goggles on have to admit that Drew Brees looks like he is fading as he gets older. All of the throws, the average depth of target is just so short here. There's just such short throws. The offense is much easier to defend because they're not stretching the field. And Drew Brees' dot has decreased the last three years. And it looks like it's even smaller this year. So I'm just not very optimistic about Drew Brees' fantasy outlook. I think he's going to be usable in soft matchups, of course. But he can no longer be viewed as a quarterback one for fantasy football, as a top 12, you know, every week starter for fantasy football. Michael Thomas did not play with a high ankle sprain. I would expect him to miss another game or two. And Jared Cook, I thought he was going to have a huge game with Michael Thomas out. And it looked like he was going to. In one of the opening drives, he caught a short touchdown. But he ended up with only 13 yards, five targets, two catches. He just was used very sparingly, did really nothing after that touchdown. And that was despite the Saints being out with the, being without their star wideout, of course. He was third in targets on the team. Emmanuel Sanders also disappointed. Huge disappointment in this game. Three targets, one catch, 18 yards for Sanders. He is not really relevant in fantasy right now. You can keep him stashed on your benches. You should not be starting him. And Traquan Smith, he did step up. Traquan Smith had a good game, 80 yards in this game on four or five pretty big catches. He was the only Saints player that was really looked to downfield. And I definitely think Traquan Smith is worth an add in 12-team formats. And we'll get to him in a second because this is the waiver wire show of the week. But impressive stuff from Traquan Smith, who hasn't really lived up to his draft billing. I think he was a third-round pick three years ago. Hasn't really done much, but Drew Brees did talk him up this offseason and say that he's he is improving greatly and expects him to blossom this year. And he may have the opportunity to do just that with Michael Thomas out. So moving on to the Saints running game. And this was the good news for New Orleans here because this was an epic performance by Alvin Kamara. This was vintage Alvin Kamara. And I know he's still young, but you know what I mean here because last year he just dealt with a variety of different injuries, just never really looked right. And Kamara just looked so much healthier in this game. He was lethal in this game. 13 rushes, 79 rushing yards, very efficient. Two rushing touchdowns, both from short yardage. Nine targets, nine catches, so perfect receiving day, 95 yards for Kamara. And the way that he ran, his quickness that he showed, it was just night and day compared to last season when he was hobbled. And Latavius Murray, who saw 15 carries in the opener, only had three rushes for 14 yards and two catches. So he reverted back to Kamara's clear backup after seeing 15 carries in week one. And the Saints did trail for most of the second half, but Kamara was getting most of the workload in the first half anyway. And Kamara was perfect in the passing game. Now that... Christian McCaffrey is out for the next four-ish weeks. And now that Saquon Barkley tore his ACL, Alvin Kamara is one of the most valuable players in all of fantasy football. And he looks like he's starting out with a big year. He already has four touchdowns in two games so far this year after scoring only six 
total touchdowns last year. I mentioned all offseason that positive touchdown regression was coming, and it's already hitting in a major, major way for Alvin Kamara. He's going to be even more of a focal point as Drew Brees' arm strength has clearly declined and as Michael Thomas is out. So good on you for getting Alvin Kamara at pick four, maybe even pick three if you've followed my guide early, or pick five or six if it was after uh, the holdout threat. Okay, let's go over some news to close out week two of this fantasy football season. Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, Denver Broncos. I think his average draft position was around pick 35 overall. Not on my board. You don't you don't have Cortland Sutton on your teams if you followed my draft guide. So you don't really have to worry about this if you are a regular listener. But Cortland Sutton unfortunately placed on IR with a knee injury. And this is not short-term IR. He tore up his knee in the game. This was on a play where he actually dropped a pass. He was questionable going into the game, but he was playing pretty well. He had three catches, 66 yards, with Jeff Driscoll at backup quarterback. And Driscoll hit him on a pass. It was for like a 12-yard gain, and he actually dropped it. It landed in a defender's hand for the Steelers. And Quillen Sutton went and chased him down. And while he was chasing, I believe it was Joe Hayden down, he landed, the defender landed on Quillen Sutton's knee and just kind of ripped it up. And now he's going to be out for the season, unfortunately. So this gives more stock into, or this increases the outlook, the fantasy outlook for Jerry Judy, who I think is a nice buy-low candidate. I think he started slow, and I think that his quarterbacks right now, nobody's really going to want Jerry Judy with his current quarterback situation with Jeff Driscoll, and I'll get to Blake Bortles in a second. But I think Jerry Judy is a nice buy-low candidate here. He might be the numbers one de facto wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. It's also good for Noah Fant, who looks like he's having a huge breakout season here and has looked so athletic through two weeks. It looks like defenses are having a really hard time stopping him. And it's also good for K.J. Hamler, wide receiver who I'll get to in my waiver wire section here. But Blake Bortles, in other Broncos news, has been signed by the Denver Broncos. Yeah, you remember that old Jaguars quarterback? Yeah, he signed. And I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but as a reminder, Drew Locke is going to miss two to six weeks with a sprained AC joint. And Jeff Driscoll came in relief against the Steelers. He wasn't all that terrible. And he actually filled in for Matt Stafford last year. He wasn't the worst thing in the world. And it's expected that Jeff Driscoll, who's a better fantasy option than people realize because of his rushing floor, he'll probably start against in week three against the Bucks. But it looks like Blake Bortles will come and compete with Jeff Driscoll and probably take over starting duties thereafter. I don't know if they would have signed him if they didn't have that in mind. And the Broncos just appear to be really toast here. But I still think Noah Fant, Jerry Judy, nice buy-low options here. Moving on to the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, high ankle sprain. He played a couple series through it, but it was getting worse. And he's week to week. And he's a quarterback who he's a quarterback, so he can kind of miss less time with a high ankle sprain than like a running back may need to miss. And Kyle Shanahan said there's actually a chance that Jimmy G plays against the Giants this week. I don't know if I would buy that. In fact, I think that because the Giants are such a winnable. That's such a winnable game there for the 49ers. I could see the Niners resting Jimmy Garoppolo for a week 
before they end up facing the Eagles next week. So I would expect Jimmy G to miss this week, and that would mean Nick Mullins would come in in relief. And he's he's not terrible. He's, he's one of the better backups in the league. Unfortunately, though, for the 49ers, they're also unlikely to have Raheem Mostert this week. He's unlikely to play with an MCL sprain in week three. I would say he is 90% likely to miss this game and possibly even the next game. But again, this is another situation where the Niners might feel they can win this game without Mostert, without Jimmy G. Excuse me, Jimmy G. So we can safely expect them to miss. I think Jimmy G is more likely to play. I don't know why I keep saying Jimmy G, but Garoppolo is more likely to play than Mostert, if I had to guess. Tevin Coleman will not play. Knee injury for Tevin Coleman. If he was the next man up behind Raheem Mostert, he's going to miss multiple weeks with that knee injury. This leads all to Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson for the Niners' backfield unless they sign Devonta Freeman. We'll talk about all that in the waiver wire section of today's show. Wide receiver Paris Campbell for the Colts. He was a popular waiver wire ad in week one or late round sleeper. I liked him as a sleeper this year. Unfortunately, he did not stay healthy once again this season. He's out indefinitely after injuring his PCL in week two. And that's a real shame because Campbell really looked like he was having a promising start. He had a good week one and he looked like he was almost kind of emerging as the Colts number one receiver, even over T.Y. Hilton a little. That was kind of his best case scenario there, but now he is out indefinitely. He is okay to drop in your league. Sterling Shepard will undergo an MRI on his injured toe, and he could miss multiple games. So stock up for Darius Slayton, stock up for Evan Ingram, who also are going to be playing without Saquon Barkley, of course, and that's a lot of targets and a lot of uses that could go Evan Ingram, could go Darius Slayton's way, and obviously Golden Tate is in the mix as well. But Sterling Shepard likely to miss the next two or three games, if I had to guess. The good news is that Chris Godwin, has been removed from the concussion protocol. We should expect him to be suiting up and playing in week three against the Denver Broncos. He's in a really good spot there against a Denver Broncos team that really just doesn't have a good secondary. Uh, Other ancillary news that kind of affect fantasy football, but not really directly, more of indirect effects here, but big injuries nonetheless. Washington football team, they place right guard Brandon Sheriff on IR. He's one of their best linemen, and he'll be, miss the next three weeks with the sprained MCL. So that's kind of a ding to their O-line, and that hurts Antonio Gibson, Dwayne Haskins a little bit. The Vikings, they lost Anthony Barr, their linebacker, and their strong side linebacker slash pass rusher. He's a pretty good player, torn peck for the entire season. Their defense will be even worse now, if that's even possible. And the Seahawks, this is a big one here. They lost nickel cornerback Marquise Blair for the season. Very young, promising player there. Very good player. Underrated. Unfortunately, he's out for the year. And they may lose Bruce Irvin, their best pass rusher for the season with a torn ACL. That would be two major blows for the Seahawks defense. And they are safely okay to drop in fantasy football. I thought they were going to be really good on defense this year, but the injuries have just piled up. Those are two key players this year, and I think that is more of a reason to let Russ cook. I think those are good things for Russell Wilson, Mr. Unlimited's fantasy value because he will have to keep throwing because the Seahawks defense just doesn't look like it can stop anyone. We saw them struggle against Matt Ryan in week one and then Cam Newton in week two. They just can't really stop anyone. So Colts, Lost starting free safety Malik Hooker for the season. So that kind of hurts the Colts defense. They played really well, and they have a great schedule coming up. 
And I will talk about that in a moment when we go through the waiver wire show. But okay, I think that's it. There are more injuries on the defensive side of the ball, but there's just week two was just such a war zone, just so many injuries. And I'm just so glad that week two is officially over. So let's end it here. You know, thank goodness it was a bloodbath. Let's move on to week three. All right, so we're officially in week three, which is great, all things considered here. And first on this waiver wire show, I will give, just like last week, I will give a drop list first so you know which players on 12-team formats that I am considering cutting, and then I will go over potential waiver wire ads. You know, before we can make some ads, it's we got to make some cuts here. And again, for those of you who did not listen last week or missed last week's episode, waiver wire episode, I'll be doing this every Tuesday. And unfortunately, every league is different. And I get that. Some people have 18 leagues, 10, 12, 14. There's even like 20 team leagues out there. I'm giving this from the perspective of a normal, semi-competitive 12-team format, not 10-team format. If you want to ask a specific question, you can hit me up at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram and or on Twitter, I should say, and also fantasylawguy.com. My website has a section where you can ask specific waiver wire questions there. You can really ask any fantasy football question. I will answer it on the show or answer you privately, depending on whether I think the question is great or not. But I do apologize in advance if this doesn't necessarily apply 100% to your league because maybe you aren't in a 12-team league and maybe you don't have fab money here, free agent auction budget money to spend and maybe you use rolling waivers. I'll try to curtail to both or talk about both systems here. I'll try to talk about priority ranks and fab percentage of fab money you should spend. But again, I just don't have time to get through every type of league. But if I think about it, I will say whether a person should be held in 10 or 14 team leagues. So those are probably the second most common leagues after 12 team leagues. So Let's go do this by position here. Let's go through quarterbacks. And the first one I could really think of is just, is this the quarterbacks? These are the drop list here. And it's just the quarterbacks who got hurt, right? Drew Locke, you can safely cut him. Jimmy Garoppolo, safely cut. Not really a lot of quarterbacks here, but there's a ton of running backs that I would get rid of. And before I do that, I do want to mention that quarterback, I don't like to spend a lot of time on it in waiver wire show because every league is just so different not to get into this spiel again but a lot of people play super flex leagues obviously you're going to be rostering almost every quarterback or, or every most every quarterback's going to be rostered if you're in a super flex league and that's fine and some leagues like our 10 or 12 team leagues with single quarterback starts sometimes you can just get away with only have one quarterback i mean that's totally fine you know if you're waiting for pat mahomes bye week and you just want to throw in somebody in there during his bye week you're never going to sit pat mahomes like there may not be a reason to have a backup quarterback unless an injury of course but Sometimes that roster spot is better spent on running backs there or a wide receiver or just any other position other than quarterback, especially if there's a lot of streaming options available in free agency. So that's just kind of a thing where you just have to wait and or kind of just look at your league. And if there's like 15 quarterbacks available in free agency in your league, then yeah, you can feel free to drop even better quarterbacks than Drew Locke or Jimmy Garoppolo. You can drop guys like Derek Carr. You can drop guys like Phillip Rivers because you will have options whenever you do want to stream quarterbacks but if everybody's holding a backup quarterback in your league and the only backup quarterbacks available are like guys like Dwayne Haskins and Sam Darnold and stuff then yeah you might want to hold on 
to your backup quarterback. So it's just league dependent there. Let's get to the running backs here. A lot of running backs that are on my drop list for 12-team leagues this week. And when I say 12-team leagues, I definitely mean 10-team leagues as well. If you're holding on to these guys in 10-team leagues, if they're a drop in 12, they're obviously a drop in 10. Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, the Dolphins running backs there. You can both cut them. Jordan Howard had a short rushing touchdown once again in Week 2, but that's all he is. He's a goal line specialist for a team that rarely ever gets to inside the 5-yard line. The volume is not bankable for either Breida nor Jordan Howard. And again, this is just a low upside situation in a running back by committee with the Miami Dolphins, who have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. So bye-bye Jordan Howard, bye-bye Matt Breda. Boston Scott is a player that I think you can get rid of now that Miles Sanders is back. If you want the handcuff for Boston Scott, then that's totally fine, but I wouldn't view him as anything more than a handoff or a handcuff, I should say, an insurance policy. I don't think that he has standalone value anymore now that we've seen Miles Sanders be used as the bell cow in week two. Moving on to Sony Michelle, and I would go ahead and throw James White in there as well. I know it's hard to cut James White. He missed last week because of the tragedy that happened to his parents in the car accident. But James White, Rex Burkhead, took a lot of his snaps and was used for over 70% of the snaps in that game. White's obviously going to come back and resume some of that role. But Burkhead's being used a lot. And Burkhead was not really a factor last season. And Damian Harris is going to come off short-term IR after week three. So this is just a muddy backfield. It's like a four-way running back by committee I want nothing to do with. So all Patriots running backs, unless Damian Harris is maybe in an IR spot for me, are going to be cut in 12-team leagues if I have any say. I've got to say, I think this is a liability nightmare. You don't have any claims that you can back up, so I'm out. Tariq Cohen, now that David Montgomery is fully healthy and we've seen, he's more of just... I don't really know what he is. I guess he's a PPR flyer in full-point PPR leagues where you can throw him out there and get, I don't know, 5 to 10 points each week. But he's just not very valuable in fantasy football. I, you don't really need to be holding Tariq Cohen. Even if something happened to David Montgomery, Cohen would probably be used as more of a satellite back like he is now. Maybe he'd get some more targets, but... I don't know. There's just not a lot of upside for Tariq Cohen in this Bears offense. So I I was never okay with drafting him, and I'm definitely okay with cutting him now. The number just doesn't work for me. I'm out. Karrion Johnson, I was also never okay with drafting him. Carry on my He's in the midst of a running back by committee. I know he scored a short touchdown on the opening drive for the Detroit Lions. However, Adrian Peterson is the better probably runner at this point, as crazy as that sounds. Patricia seems to like Adrian Peterson more than Kerryon Johnson, and then DeAndre Swift is taking up all of the passing down work pretty much. So Kerryon Johnson, part of a three-way running back by committee for a bad Detroit Lions team. So no, he is he's he can be cut. Tevin Coleman. Injury talked about earlier, you can cut him. He's going to be out for multiple weeks. This would have been a perfect time if you've been stashing Tevin Coleman to use now that Raheem Mostert got hurt. But Tevin Coleman got hurt at the same time, so bad luck there. Peyton Barber, hey, he had two touchdowns in week one as the goal line back. But I mentioned that we should not be really making free agency claims on Peyton Barber in last week's waiver episode, and that proved to be pretty much right. There's no reason that Peyton Barber should be on a 12-team league. I get that he's maybe still the goal line back there, but Antonio Gibson's role is only going to grow. They also used J.D. McKissick more than Barber last week, so 
I, I just think that Barber really has no place on rosters in a 12-team format. He's just a plotter. Bryce Love was inactive for the second straight week. I'm only mentioning him because I've seen him on a couple of rosters in two of my uh, seven leagues that I'm in. He's still in rosters. He can be cut safely. Justin Jackson, he's also still rostered in one or two of my seven leagues and in 12 and 14 team leagues. He can also be cut. It's very clear that Joshua Kelly has won this backup running back battle. I'm not even going to call it a backup running back battle. It's clear that he's won the 1B battle to Austin Eckler's 1A. Justin Jackson really has no role in this offense, even probably when he comes back, because Kelly has earned it. Philip Lindsay, he's out for the next probably two weeks, and even if he were healthy, There's really no reason to be stashing him here. He's in a running back by committee with Melvin Gordon at the very best. I think Gordon's going to run away literally with this job. And I think Philip Lindsay is just going to revert back to being a change of pace back. So there's really no reason to roster Philip Lindsay. You can make the argument that he's a handcuff, but we saw Philip Lindsay without Melvin Gordon last year. And he wasn't even, I don't even think he was a top 24 running back last year in points per game. So yeah, there's really no reason to be rostering Philip Lindsay in 12 team formats. Duke Johnson, same thing. The only argument you could make is that he's David Johnson's handcuff, and maybe David Johnson has a big injury history. But David Johnson's been used as the bell cow here. Duke Johnson's still dealing with uh, an injury right now. I think it's an ankle or a hamstring. Everyone's got a hamstring. I actually think it's an ankle. I'm not 100% on that. I I did forget. I apologize for that. But either way, he probably is a game-time decision leading up to Week three, and even if he does play, we saw the usage in week one. Duke Johnson is David Johnson's backup. He can be cut from your fantasy teams. LaShawn McCoy can also be cut. It's just not there. He dropped a touchdown, but he's barely playing. And this is Leonard Fournette's backfield, which we'll talk about in a second. At wide receiver, Scotty Miller. I hyped this guy up as a popular, or not as a popular, he was a popular DFS play, but I hyped this guy up as a popular sleeper for week Two, when he was playing in place of Chris Godwin, the chalk almost hit immediately when on the opening drive, I believe it was, Scotty Miller had a touchdown in his hands. 20-yard touchdown would have been great, but he dropped it, unfortunately. So Scotty Miller, it can also be dropped from my fantasy teams as well. Chris Godwin coming back this week, as I mentioned. So there's no really no reason to draw to the third wide receiver on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Justin Jefferson just isn't involved very much in this offense. I think that Jefferson is a stash if you want to, if you're in a deeper league, I'm okay with holding on to Jefferson. But if you need somebody to be playing for you right now, you need this waiver wire or free agent to be a starter, then it's I'm also okay with getting rid of Justin Jefferson. He's not earned a starting role yet. I think it will come at some point later in the season. So just keep an eye out for him if he is cut. But right now, Justin Jefferson is pretty useless for fantasy football, so you can go ahead and make that move if needed. Speaking of useless, Christian Kirk, another bad game in week one. This is a guy I liked to be a post-hype sleeper, and it just didn't pan out. Bad call by me. Unfortunately, Christian Kirk is just second tier to DeAndre Hopkins. I want to say even probably Larry Fitzgerald is ahead of him in the pecking order. Christian Kirk, he's a, he's a nice deep threat, but only two catches, 57 yards in week two. That's after our goose egg in week one. I think we can comfortably drop Christian Kirk in 12-team formats. Anthony Miller, another pop uh, sleeper that I really hyped up. Unfortunately, that was another whiff by me as well. And honestly, I'm just very surprised by it because he has the full opportunity to be playing really well. And I think Anthony Miller is still pretty good. But for whatever reason, this Bears coaching staff does not like him. He's playing as the third wide receiver, not the second wide receiver as the for the Bears. And this is a this is a team led by Mitch Trubisky, so that's obviously doomsday there. Uh, Darnell Mooney has just outplayed. 
Anthony Miller somehow or has taken over his job. And Mooney caught the touchdown in Week 2. Anthony Miller is playing fewer than 40% of the snaps for this Bears team, and this is a Trubisky-led offense. He's not like this is Pat Mahomes or anything like that. So if you have the third wide receiver on the Bears offense, that is not that is suboptimal right there. Look, Allen Robinson not having a good year either. So I thought Anthony Miller, after a strong week one, could prove to be a nice breakout candidate here. However, I knew that the 42% snap share in week one was pretty alarming, and it was even less in week two. So you can go ahead and cut Anthony Miller. He's just not used enough to be relevant. Brashad Perriman is likely going to miss this week. He was already droppable before this episode. He's the pretty much every Jets player is, except for maybe Jameson Crowder if you're in an IR spot. But Brashad Perriman looks like he's going to be a fl- an injury-played flop for the New York Jets as their free agent acquisition. Denzel Mims obviously still out for the Jets. Cortland Sutton, again, IR. You can go ahead and cut him. Paris Campbell, same thing as well. He's going to be out indefinitely. Uh, you can cut Paris Campbell, and it's a shame if you spent some fab money on him last week, but he messed up his knee in week two. Rob Gunkowski for tight ends. I mentioned you should cut him before last week. I mentioned that you should not be drafting Rob Gunkowski. I mentioned that he's not going to be a thing, and he just is not a thing. He's washed. It's time. I said that maybe if you're really in love with Rob Gronkowski, you spent draft, high draft capital on Gronk, uh, at the or at or against, I should say, my advice and took Rob Gronkowski, and you wanted to give him one more week against a shoddy Carolina Panthers defense, then that's fine. But he had his chance; he blew it once again. Uh, Rob Gronkowski cut from fancy teams. I'm sure not going to invest in you today with that giant question mark over the numbers. I'm sad to say I'm out. Chris Herndon. He is a sleeper that I like that just didn't pan out. And honestly, I just don't understand it because there's just no other targets for Sam Darnold right now, who I think still could be, he's so young, he still could be a decent quarterback. I don't think he's terrible. I just think the Jets have surrounded him with like the worst supporting cast ever with just a terrible offensive line. And then obviously, Rashad Perryman hurt, Le'Veon Bell hurt, Denzel Mims hurt. That's both Sam Darnold's number one and number two receiver and his running back there. So you would think, oh yeah, and not to mention Jamison Crowder, the number three receiver, which is actually the number one target for the Jets, but their slot receiver, he's also hurt. So you would think that Chris Herndon would be able to soak up some targets. At least he's an athletic guy. He's very talented. But Adam Gase is just the absolute worst. The worst. And Chris Herndon is just doing nothing here. He's used, being used as more of a blocker. It's just a tragic situation. I'm confident that just like every other Jets player who leaves Adam Gase's prison system, that they Chris Herndon will probably end up having a great year, like the first year out of Adam Gase's pathetic offense. But for now, we can cut Chris Herndon safely in 12-team leagues. There are other better tight ends who we'll talk about that you can pick up. Austin Hooper. Same thing with him. Look, I didn't advise drafting Austin Hooper. He was really never on my board, never really in consideration for me. I thought he was overrated from a fantasy perspective. I told listeners that they could wait one more week after a slow week one and give Austin Hooper another chance against the Bengals' soft defense. That did not work. He was barely used despite David Njoku being on short-term IR. So you can go ahead and cut Austin Hooper from your team. This is just a run-first offense in Cleveland. Eric Ebron. Probably shouldn't have been on teams anyway, but you can go ahead and cut him. O.J. Howard, after the strong week one, he did not 
do anything in week two. Couldn't follow that nice performance in week one up with anything really at all. So you can cut OJ Howard as well. In terms of kickers, I mean, I don't really care. You can cut your kicker if he's not good. We'll talk about kicker plays in a second, and we'll talk about defenses that you can stream in a second as well. But two defenses that come to mind that you definitely can cut safely are the Philadelphia Eagles and the Seattle Seahawks with the injuries I mentioned there. You can cut the Eagles and Seahawks. You can also cut the Broncos because they are also banged up, and I just think their lack of quarterback situation now is going to make them a worse team, worse game scripts. So, yeah, that's my cut list for 12-team leagues. If I didn't mention your player, maybe it's, it's, it's maybe because I forgot them, but it's more likely they should probably be rostered. Okay, so let's get to the waiver wire list. Uh, potential ads this week. I'm going to fly through quarterback real quickly because I mentioned how quarterbacks are different for every league. But four quarterbacks I would make sure probably aren't in free agency really in any league. Joe Burrow, obviously, Ryan Tannehill, Gardner Minshew, and Jared Goff. And if you're thinking right now, like, duh, those guys aren't in free agency, you just never know. Some leagues are like 10-team leagues where you only start one quarterback. So you just can't assume that any of these guys are aren't in free agency. Every league is different. But in competitive leagues, those guys should be picked up. Minshew, Joe Burrow, Jared Goff, and Tannehill, some of the better backup fantasy quarterbacks and arguably even top 12 quarterbacks some weeks in the right matchups. They should not be on waiver wires. So let's get into the main segment of this waiver waiver wire show, the juice here, and that's running back, right? Because there were so many injuries this week to running backs and wide receivers. Christian McCaffrey went down. Saquon Barkley went down, unfortunately. So what are we going to do at running back? I think the top waiver wire claim has to be Mike Davis. And that is Christian McCaffrey's backup there. And I know, I realize that's the chalk, but McCaffrey is out for three to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. My concern with this is not that McCaffrey is not going to come back healthy. But my question is, the Panthers are already 0-2. So why would the Panthers, the winless Panthers, if like they keep losing, why would they rush Christian McCaffrey back? I, I just don't see it. I know McCaffrey wants to get back, but I think the Panthers are going to play this pretty conservatively with their star player who they just gave a huge contract to. And I wouldn't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey is good enough to play after three weeks, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Panthers held him out for like four or five weeks. So Mike Davis, he can catch passes. He's not a terrible backup running back, right? But the the real value of Mike Davis isn't that he's good and isn't even that he can catch passes. Well, that's part of it. But the real value is that Mike Davis actually looks like kind of like a mini little bell cow back when Chris McCaffrey is out, right? Like he's going to get most of the running work and most of the receiving work. And I think he's going to get goal line as well. And there are just very few running backs out there who can say that. The running backs who are getting most of the receiving work, running backs who are getting most of the goal line, and running backs are getting most of the early down work. That's the trifecta right there for fantasy football. And usually those running backs go very early in fantasy football drafts to start the season, right? Like that's what you want out of a running back. And there's just so few of them now, especially even more so with some of the bell cow backs getting hurt. So that's the primary argument for going Mike Davis. I realize that it's a short-term fix, and you don't want to blow all of your free agency money on a short-term fix. But keep in mind that if you lost Christian McCaffrey, you lost like 20 points a game right there. Like you, He was the number one overall pick. So you want this guy 
to come in and replace him. And if all you have to spend is, you know, 50 whatever percent of your fab money, then I would go ahead and do that. Because unlike last week, where there wasn't really a clear cut number one waiver wire claim, like some people saw Malcolm Brown, other people saw, I mean, I didn't. Other people, I like Naheem Hines. And Hines did nothing this week. Naheem Hines, some people liked him. Benny Snell, some people liked Snell last week. This week, there's really no debate about it. Like Davis is the primary claim if you're enrolling waivers, and he is the player that people will spend most of or the most fab money on relative to the other free agents probably in your league. And the schedule, pretty soft for the next four or five weeks. The Chargers are tough, of course, but then the Cardinals and Falcons and then the Bears and the Saints. So it's 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 probably a middling schedule. But Mike Davis, he caught seven passes in garbage time last week, filling in for Christian McCaffrey in the fourth quarter when the Carolina Panthers were trailing Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I actually like, I think Mike Davis will be worth spending at least 50% of your fab money on. And I'd argue closer to 60%, maybe even 70% if you have Christian McCaffrey. And if you, it just depends on how much you need a running back. So you have to keep in mind here, this is a short-term fix. It's only going to be available for three or four weeks. So, Maybe five or six at the very most. So, I mean, there's a variety of different questions you want to ask yourself, right? I mean, are you a team that's just looking pretty good at running back already? Like, you don't really need Mike Davis? Okay, sure, then put 10% of your budget on there just to make sure nobody steals them. That's fine. Like, you don't really need them, whatever. But, but maybe you're a team that just desperately needs running back. Then it should be, honestly, like over half your budget for sure. Like I would argue even close to 60, maybe 70% just because of the clear role here. But the other issue to consider, of course, is are you consistently a playoff team in, in your league, right? Like maybe you always make the playoffs in your league. So maybe you really won't have a problem getting to the playoffs. So you can kind of just, you know, not blow your fab, all your fab money on this and kind of wait for maybe a longer term solution later and just kind of save up. So it just depends on how desperate you are at running back. I wouldn't just be blowing your entire free agent budget, all of that money on Mike Davis just because he's Christian McCaffrey's backup for like for the next, I mean, just because he's a starting running back for the next four weeks. If you don't need a running back, it's probably not worth it. But if he's going to be starting for you, like if your bench options are not that good, or maybe in your draft, you drafted Christian McCaffrey and just kind of went receivers and quarterbacks and, and tight ends after Christian McCaffrey and just kind of wing the second running back position and Mike Davis is going to be an every week starter for you for the next th- four, five weeks, then yeah, I'd say over 50% of your budget needs to be spent on Mike Davis. So moving on, and actually before I move on, I want to get to, I want to just say Joshua Kelly. I recommended him obviously as a pickup last week. I, I recommended him as a pickup before week one when I said he was going to be a, a deep sleeper uh, in my draft guide. I've always been a big Josh Kelly fan so just make sure he's not on your waiver wire. If he is, I would say, you know, based on the amount of touches that he received, I think it was like 23 carries and he had a couple catches. I would say Joshua Kelly would be arguably the number one, maybe number two ad behind Mike Davis in fantasy football formats. And I would say a good chunk of your fab budget, probably at least 30, 40% on Joshua Kelly there. So Moving on to the Giants situation because they lost Saquon Barkley for the season, right? So who's going to come in and take over for Barkley after he tragically tore his ACL? Is it going to be Wayne Gallman? Because training camp reporter said Gallman was the early backup if something were to happen 
to Saquon Barkley. That was back in training camp, though, and he was inactive last week. But Deion Lewis has been Barkley's backup so far this season. And Lewis is just more of a pass-catching specialist. So I tend to agree. I think Galman's actually going to get early downs. And I think Deion Lewis is probably going to get pass-catching downs. Overall, I think this is going to be a running back by committee, probably a 50-50 time split. It's one that I'm not really interested because I also think the variable is there. The Giants could signed Devonta Freeman. They've already reached out to him to just bring him in for a workout. A couple of teams have done that to no avail. And for whatever reasons, they haven't liked Devonta Freeman. Maybe it's his attitude. Maybe it's that he's potentially washed. Maybe it's that it's probably that he's just wanting too much money. But the Giants seem a little desperate there. And I think that Devonta Freeman, if he's going to be signed by the Giants or the 49ers, like I could definitely see it. We'll talk about the Niners in a second. But That's just another wrinkle, and it's another reason why I don't think spending the money, like forking up this money on Deion Lewis or Wayne Gallman is really worth it. I'd throw in maybe a a claim on Deion Lewis in a PPR format and maybe Gallman in a non-PPR format, but I wouldn't be spending a lot of fab money uh, on them, even if I kind of needed a running back. It's not a place where I want to say, I made a great investment today in barf bags. It doesn't look good in my portfolio. I'm out. So moving on to Daryl Henderson. I think I would actually have Daryl Henderson maybe even over those Giants running backs. Henderson, 12 rushes, 81 yards, one touchdown in week two, and four, uh, sorry, excuse me, 40 yards on two catches. And the Rams have a running back by committee, but Cam Akers is questionable for this week with a rib injury. So you may get at least another chance for Daryl Henderson to kind of claim stake as the number one pass-catching option for the Rams. I think he already has that over Malcolm Brown. I think Henderson outplayed Malcolm Brown last week. The Rams like Henderson. He was a second-round pick last year. So I like that Henderson catches passes for PPR leagues, and I think he's worth definitely probably 20% of your fab money if you can afford it on a guy like Daryl Henderson and just hope that eventually – that Malcolm Brown is maybe phased out. Eventually, when K-Makers comes back healthy, this will be a, an even back, backfield split between K-Makers and Daryl Henderson. That's the hope there. Let's get to the 49ers here. Jarek McKinnon is going to be a popular ad this week. I mentioned him as an ad last week uh, in last week's waiver Wire show. But McKinnon, he's likely going to split with Jeff Wilson, who's kind of a red zone specialist that we saw early in last season when he scored a bunch of touchdowns early in the year, but that was basically it. Jarek McKinnon is coming off the knee injury. I don't think he's going to be used as a bell cow back, but he has flashed in limited purposes or limited opportunities here. He was three carries over 70 yards in week two, and he also scored in week one. So I definitely like Jarek McKinnon as a stash. And McKinnon definitely will be somebody who can probably start actually in week, at least in this week, before Raheem Mostert comes back. We saw Tevin Coleman is out for multiple weeks. This could be McKinnon's time to shine and take over that number two role over Raheem Mostert. I don't think he's going to beat out Raheem Mostert for this job. If some of you are thinking that, oh yeah, McKinnon could be the hot hand and end up being this year's Raheem Mostert. I don't really see that out of McKinnon. I think the Niners are going to play relatively conservative in view McKinnon as a tandem back just because of his injury history. However, I do think that Raheem Mostert is also the better back. So when he comes back from his injury, I see him slotting back into 1A role and maybe McKinnon being 1B, and that's probably his upside there. Unless, of course, there's some kind of complication with Mostert. 
But McKinnon gets a soft Giants opponent, soft matchup this week against the Giants. So yeah, I definitely like McKinnon for a one or two week play. I think you'll have to put at least 10% of your fab money on McKinnon to get him. Another guy I like as a stash, Miles Gaskin. Gaskin, he rushed seven times for 36 yards in week two, but he also had six catches on seven targets for 36 yards as well. And Shane Gailey had mentioned, the offensive coordinator had mentioned that Gaskin only led the backfield in week one because he's Miami's de facto runner from the spread offense. But Gaskin had 13 touches in week two and he out-touched Breda and Jordan Howard again. I think you can cut Breda and Howard and I think you can add Miles Gaskin. I mentioned him as an ad last week and week two he played even more. So I like Miles Gaskin as a stash. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leading this team in rushing. It might not be a lot. Maybe that's not worth a lot, but he also could lead running backs on this team in catches, and that is worth a good uh, sizable chunk in PPR leagues. I think that Miles Gaskin is a nice player to have on your bench in PPR formats. He also plays on Thursday this week, so if you're really, really desperate, he plays the Jaguars on Thursday. So yeah, you could potentially use him there if you just got ravished by injuries to your running backs. Frank Gore, another guy like that, 21 carries for 63 yards in week one. He plays Indianapolis. He's nothing more than a desperation play. I wouldn't spend more than like maybe a dollar or five dollars, I should say, of free agent budget money. Let's move to wide receiver. Actually, before we move to wide receivers, I want to say that Devonta Freeman is definitely a guy that I would just throw a couple dollars at if he's not signed before the waiver period comes up, like if he signed after this show. Devonta Freeman could be signed by the 49ers. And Devonta Freeman could be signed by the New York Giants. And that's two reasons why I'm not too, too high on Jarek McKinnon. And that's a reason why I'm not too, too high on either Wayne Gallman or Deion Lewis. Because McKin- uh, sorry, Devonta Freeman could throw a, a total wrench into both of those backfields. And McKinnon, for that reason, I would honestly kind of prioritize him. He would probably be my third maybe fourth waiver wire claim this week in most leagues if I had rolling waivers. And I think Freeman is definitely worth a speculative ad in 12-team formats, even if he hasn't signed with the team yet by the time your waivers passes through. Because Freeman, he has played with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco before, and the Giants just desperately need a running back. And Freeman, unlike Deion Lewis, where he's not a good early down runner, and unlike Wayne Gallman, who's just not a capable pass catcher, Freeman can do both of those things. So he would be way more valuable than either of those Giants players in fantasy football. So now let's move into wide receivers. And the first one I have to say is Russell Gage. And I kind of disrespected Russell Gage in week one, despite he kind of closed out last season as pretty strong as the Falcons' number three receiver. And last in week one, I chalked it up to fully game script there for his 12 targets, his nine catches, 114 yards in week one, and the Falcons lost to the Seahawks because they were just trailing all game. I thought it was just a garbage time game. But Russell Gage, nine targets in week two, which I love, six catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Russell Gage should officially be picked up in 12-team formats. He probably arguably should have been officially picked up before then. I thought his week one was a little fluky. It doesn't look like it was. He was a big factor in this offense. He had a drop in this game as well, so it could have been better. He also had a 42-yard touchdown throw that was dropped by Julio Jones. It would have added a throwing touch, a passing touchdown to his total there. So Russell Gage, pretty big part of the Falcons, Falcons offense. And Julio Jones, now we've learned that the hamstring injury is a little more serious than led on in week one. So Russell Gage, definitely worth a pickup there. I would say probably 20% of your fab money should go to Russell Gage. The only reason I'm not going more 
despite his showing in week one and two is because there's just so many wide receivers in free agency that you can likely pick up in your leagues. Traquan Smith, I mentioned him in last week's episode as a speculative ad without Michael Thomas. He ended up being having the blow-up game without Michael Thomas. He had 80 yards. He looked really good in all areas of the field. So Traquan Smith, definitely worth adding in 12-team formats while Michael Thomas nurses his high ankle sprain. Corey Davis, same thing. We don't know if A.J. Brown is going to play this week. And the, and the Titans have a pretty winnable game, it looks like, against the Minnesota Vikings. So they could elect to sit A.J. Brown with his knee b- bone bruise. They could elect to sit him again. And that would mean Corey Davis, who scored a touchdown, had 30 yards in Week 2 after a strong Week 1. He would be the de facto number one receiver for the Titans again. That also makes Adam Humphreys a speculative ad as well for deeper leagues if A.J. Brown is out. He scored. I mentioned him as a sleeper in my podcast preview Before that game, he ended up hitting there, and I think that Adam Humphreys, if you're in a very deep league and you need another start, if A.J. Brown is out again, the Vikings' defense just obviously sucks, so he had a good matchup there. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, 36 rushing yards, I believe, last week. Excuse me, it was actually 37 rushing yards on five carries, and it was 35 receiving yards, so I just kind of averaged him out, I guess, to make 36 but that means he's being used as both a running back and a receiver. He does play on Thursday night if you're absolutely desperate for a flex or a wide receiver three. Ideally, he's a wide receiver four at this point, but his role is only going to grow in this offense. He is a rookie. So I think LaVisca Chenault definitely worth a stash in 12-team formats. Nikhil Harry, also worth a stash. He had 12 targets, eight catches, 72 yards in week two. Cam Newton has talked very highly of Nikhil Harry. He obviously loves the guy. He he. Backed him up after a poor week one showing where he, uh, Nikhil Harry lost a fumble in the end zone that was ruled a touchback. Had Nikhil Harry scored on that play instead of losing the fumble in the end zone where he was one yard short, I think people in fantasy football world would be viewing Harry very differently because he would have opened the season with two pretty good PPR games. Uh, so instead, that was an eight-point swing. Actually, it was, yeah, it was an eight-point swing for Nikhil Harry, which is a big deal this early in the season. I want to say the same for Michael Pittman as well. I think Michael Pittman is worth a stash with Paris Campbell out. He had six targets, four catches, 37 receiving yards in week two. And he was a second-round pick in April. He's got a big body that Phillip Rivers tends to throw to guys like that with Malcolm Floyd, Vincent Jackson back in the day, and Mike Williams more recently. And T.Y. Hilton is just in a funk. So I like Michael Pittman as a stash in 12-team leagues both Packers wide receivers we don't really know the extent of Devontae Adams hamstring injury I think that he is going to suit up in week three I think he's fine but Marcus Valdez Scantling and Alan Lazard probably worth speculative ads if you have bench spots open in case Adams can't go this week or in case it's more serious than advertised I do want to mention Jalen Rager who'd probably be a cup above a couple of these guys. Same situation here. He's a, as as Pittman, as LaVisca Chenault. He is a rookie, but I think the Eagles eventually are going to start clicking in the passing game. And Carson Wentz, he's just in a real funk right now. He's playing terribly. But Jalen Rager looks pretty good as a rookie, and I think the usage will get better and better with him as the season progresses. So he's definitely somebody that I'd want to stash and hold on my teams for hopefully a late-season surge. And lastly, for deeper leagues, KJ Hamler with Cortland Sutton with Cortland Sutton out for the season. Hamler saw seven targets in week two. Nobody's going to really be on Hamler because of his quarterback situation with Jeff Driscoll slash Blake Bortles slash Drew Locke later in the year. But KJ Hamler is somebody who 
is a speedster out of Penn State. They spent a second-round pick on KJ Hamler. So a lot of rookies in free agency that you can add, and their roles will likely grow as the season progresses. You may not be using them now, but that's why you're able to get them now in free agency when they are cheap. So let's move on to tight ends. Okay, so tight ends. uh, Somebody may have dropped Tyler Higby in your league. Somebody may have dropped Johnu Smith. Somebody may have dropped Mike Jasicki, especially Higby and Jasicki may have been dropped after underwhelming week ones. And now I mentioned several times in my podcast last week that Higby should not be given up on. He should be added in Jasicki's same situation. They both kind of blew up in week two. So both of them need to be added. They are borderline top 12 tight ends, like literally tight end ones for teams, as is Jonu Smith if he's there in free agency. And then Logan Thomas is another one who I don't think he's a tight end one. He's more of a backup tight end for sure. But I do think that we're seeing the usage that we want out of Logan Thomas. He's playing enough snaps. He's play, he's getting snaps in the slot. He is running routes on most the vast majority of Dwayne Haskins' pass snaps. So I think that Logan Thomas, he's still like a quarterback slash tight end uh, con- convert there. And I think he will get better and better as the season progresses. I think Logan Thomas should be on teams, even if it's just for a backup tight end for right now. Or maybe you need him to play if Jordan Kittle miss if Jordan Kittle if George Kittle misses one more week. And I said Jordan there, accidentally messed up the names because Jordan Reed is just another guy who he had a great week. I mentioned that he was a a nice little plug and play if you didn't have. George Kittle, he was a nice pivot, and he ended up hitting last week. If Kittle misses again, Jordan Reed definitely worth a shot there. Last one, Dalton Schultz for the Cowboys. Very impressive game in his first game with without Blake Jarwin there. Blake Jarwin tore his ACL. He was a sleeper of mine, Blake Jarwin was. But Dalton Schultz came in his role, 10 targets, 9 catches, 88 yards, and 1 touchdown. I think that he's not going to have many games like that because the game script and the game flow provided the favorable opportunities for Dalton Schultz there to rack up those yards and, and those targets and that touchdown. However, I do think he could be a red zone threat for the Cowboys. I think Dak has always liked throwing the tight ends, and I think that Dalton Schultz should probably be rostered as a backup tight end on 12-team leagues just to see what happens there. Moving on to kicker, Rodrigo Blakenship, or Blakenship. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that, but he had four or five field goals against Minnesota. He was awesome. I regret not putting him in my top 12 kicker plays for my matchup preview pod, but he gets the Jets this week. So he's definitely going to be the top kicker ad of the week. Michael Badgley, he's Los Angeles' kicker, especially if Justin Herbert gets to start again where they could actually move the ball. Uh, He's playing Carolina. So Michael Badgley, another decent kicker streamer ad. I'll do more kicker streamers in the matchup preview pod later on this week. Defenses, the Indianapolis Colts. I mentioned last week that you need to go grab the Indianapolis Colts out of free agency. And now it may be too late because now you may have to pay up for the Colts because they dominated against the Minnesota Vikings in week two. They were the top defensive unit, the Colts were. And now they get to play the Jets and then the Bears and then the Browns and then the Bengals and then the Lions. That's the next five opponents. What an easy slate for the Indianapolis Colts. They lost Malik Hooker to a torn knee injury. But however, this is a defense that you definitely want to be aggressively targeting and even spending up some fab money on if they're still somehow in free agency. But hopefully you followed my advice last week and grabbed the Colts when I warned you of this forecoming schedule. 
The Bucks defense, same thing. I hope you listened to me last week. They also had a very easy schedule upcoming. They also were a great showed off to be a great defense in week two against Carolina. The Bucks this week have the Denver Broncos with their quarterback issues. Then they have the Chargers. Then they have the Bears before their schedule gets much tougher against Green Bay and other teams. But for the next three weeks, the Bucs will definitely be a nice streaming defense, so you need to be getting them in free agency if available. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck with playing the matchup each week. So the Colts and Bucks definitely primary targets in free agency and, and ones that I would definitely spend money on. The Patriots, they play the Vegas Raiders. In week three, they could be due for a letdown. A lot of people cut the Patriots defense because they're playing Seattle in week two, and that's okay. You can pick up the Patriots. They play Derek Carr and the Raiders this week. The Chargers play Carolina this week without Christian McCaffrey. They're definitely a defense you want to be targeting. They're very talented. They played the Chiefs really well. They played Joe Burrow really well. So the Chargers, probably my number three target. I should have mentioned them ahead of the Patriots, but Colts, Bucks, Chargers right there. So that'll be it for defenses for now. I'll talk about more streaming defenses later on in the week when I do matchup previews. Good luck on your waiver wires. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please do me a solid. Hit the subscribe button. Give me a positive rating or review on I or Apple Podcasts. I really would appreciate that kind of stuff. Tell all your friends, good luck on your waiver wire. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.